0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW room void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network.
2: Red Sox fans have long to hear. The Boston Red Sox are world champions.
0: Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This
2: game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz.
0: And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome
3: back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake and Today, I'm joined by Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 257 of the show. Bob, welcome back to the Red Seat, man. How you doing? Doing well, Jake. Thanks for
1: having me. It's been a while, so uh, good to be chatting with you again. There's a lot that's going
3: on and some big news in the last few days, so ready to jump into it. Yeah, we have an absolutely loaded agenda tonight, and Bob is joining us. Uh, Keaton is at a Mariners game right now, or is about to be. Uh, So he's checking out a new stadium, and that gives me the perfect opportunity uh, to bring Bob on the show for all his great insights. Um, Bob, we have no time to spare today, so we are going to get right into it. Um, Kike Hernandez, you texted me at an ungodly hour. Uh, about this extension last night. I think you were like, what were you, up at 3 a.m. with the baby or something like that? I am um, always up, Jay. <laughs> always up Assume at 3. Assume that I'm up. <laughs> and of course, I woke up at 5 uh, and saw the text and was very pumped. But Kike Hernandez uh, has signed a one-year, $10 million extension uh, with the club. Bloom, you know, making some moves in the middle of the season. Uh I was very excited about this deal. First of all, do you like this deal, Bob? And does this solidify him as the center fielder for next year?
1: Yeah, I think it was important that they not go into the off season with center field and shortstop as an unknown, you know, just having everything up the middle in question, you know, and I thought, I was almost positive that that's what was going to happen. And, you know, whenever we were going to do an off-season pod to look at the roster and the needs and, you know, see what they need to address, obviously the Devers and Bogart stuff we would be talking about first, but I was going to mention Kike and bring him back as an important secondary piece um, that, you know, I think that he's kind of had a down year, but I think it's explainable. I think that he had um a core issue that was reported as a hip issue and kind of went under the radar a little bit and was like buried in an Alex Spear article that he had like a baseball sized um blood clot or something in his core and he just couldn't run and he couldn't swing and he tried to play through it for so long and his stats really looked pretty bad this year so I see why he took the one-year deal to kind of um, reestablish his value. I think if he entered free agency a year ago that he would have got, you know, maybe a Chris Taylor type of deal. I always thought of them as similar players. Um, So I see why he wants to take one year, but I think it's kind of a no-brainer for the Red Sox because once the Jaron Duran experiment, um, you know, didn't totally work out, you needed to have some sort of uh, assurance that you have a a safe um, defensive center fielder um, and I just think Kike is a great
3: clubhouse guy. He's someone that I enjoy watching on a nightly basis. So I was glad to see that. Yeah, I was absolutely psyched for a lot of the same reasons. Um, and, you know, in particular, it makes you appreciate uh, the defense all that much more when you you have him on the shelf and you have to watch Duran uh, play defense out in center field. So to have his stability back there next year is absolutely huge. I agree with you. He's one of the most fun guys Uh, on this team and an essential clubhouse guy. So, yeah, echo all of that stuff. I thought it was really interesting um, that uh, part of this whole uh, extension was Bloom promising Kike uh, that he was going to have a much more competitive team around him in 2023. Um, You know, Kike said that's one of the most important things to him. He's a guy who comes from the Dodgers who's won a lot, uh, you know, certainly a big part of the great Red Sox team in 2021. Uh, What do you make of that comment about, uh, you know, making sure that there's a much better team around him in 2023?
1: Yeah, it it didn't surprise me. Well, first of all, I'm glad that he's saying that. I look forward to to actually seeing it on paper and seeing what happens here. I'm I'm not surprised by it because I think that the heat is on for Bloom. But from Kike's perspective, there was a comment when he came off the injured list that was, you know, I've been to the playoffs six straight years, seven straight years, and I don't plan to miss it this year. You know, and I think that he's just got that, that motor and that I want to be on a really good team Um, even if I'm throwing a few dollars away to do that. So, you know, I I guess now that the contract signed, he doesn't, Bloom doesn't have to follow through with that. It's a one-year deal. But, you know, I'm not surprised that that was something that Kike might have brought up in that meeting, you know, that what's this team going to look like next year? And what's my position going to be? And what's going to be around me? Um, Because I think that if he did go to free agency, he might not have got the money that he did last year, but I think he could have got something like three years. Um, and I think that maybe that kind of splits the difference for him. All right, I'm going to stay here for one more year. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to hopefully have a better season myself. Um, but I don't know. Obviously, I would be glad to hear that Bloom is making those assurances. But let me know when we extend a couple of these guys in two months and we'll revisit this conversation.
3: Yeah, the money actually has to be spent and uh, some urgency needs to be seen this off season, But You know, I was really happy about this, not only because I like Kike so much as a player, um, but, you know, because the center field market is pretty weak. There's Brandon Nimmo, who's, you know, good when he's on the field, but often injured, not a great center fielder in comparison to uh, Kike Hernandez. Kevin Kiermaier is another guy that's likely to hit the market. But other than that, it's a whole lot of nothing out there in the center field market. So if you didn't get one of those three guys... You're probably gonna be pretty hard up for a solution. Yep, I, I agree with all
1: that. And kind of going back to the first thing I said, that that uncertainty if Bogart's opted out and the center fielders that you just mentioned, now there's a lot more out there in free agency at shortstop, but that's not to say that all those guys get overpaid in a Corey Seeger, Marcus Semien kind of way in the off season. You know, so there's four guys that are going to be great shortstop and there's very few center fielders. You just don't want to be in kind of a a helpless situation where you then need to go make a trade or um, have a platoon or, you know, be bringing someone up from the minors um, that isn't ready. Right. So, you know, I think overall it it gives a a little more, um, you know, stability in that outfield, even though I think there probably is still one more move to be made in the outfield.
3: Well, a huge positive nonetheless. I think uh, to close the book on this, Kike Hernandez, I I think, has has at this point become my second favorite player on the Red Sox to Xander. So I am just uh, elated that this is happening. But let's talk about our boy Xander Bogarts because uh, he did something historic over the last nine games. He had a nine-game multi-hit streak, which ties him for the longest ever in Red Sox history. Um, He tied Euclidus in 2007, uh, Jim Rice in 1978, Roy Johnson in 1934. uh, And it was the longest streak since Lourdes Guriel in 2018, who won 11 games. That's via Rob Bradford's Twitter. Uh, And Alex Spear said that Bogarts is the 55th player ever uh, to have a streak of nine straight multi-hit games. Uh, So pretty incredible from Xander Bogarts. You know, Bob, we've talked a lot Uh, Not only when we've done podcasts together, but via text about Xander Bogarts and sort of the rap that he's been getting this year for so much of the year uh, after suffering that injury on May 20th. You know, the power's been down. There's no question. But there's been a lot of haters on Twitter kind of doing the the preemptive trash talk of a guy who who is expected or maybe uh, likely to leave town. Uh, and i i just was having none of it at any point and it is just so fantastic to see xander Bogarts sitting atop the Red sox in the war leaderboard um by by a significant margin at this point right
1: yeah and it's not just that it's um the, his the way that he compares to the other shortstops in the league that we've talked about a little bit offline you know, now, his, his OPS is at 853. And the only other shortstop that's over 800 is Trey Turner. And Bogarts, Trey Turner, Correa, and Dansby Swanson are 1, 2, 3, 4. And uh, well, actually, Corey Seager's in there too. But those are four of the top five. And uh, what the four of those guys all have in common is that they're all free agents uh, this offseason. But Bogarts is at the top of all of that. So that price is going up. If you look at WRC, Plus, Bogarts is at 140. Uh, Turner's at 132. Correa, 128. Swanson, 115. And plus the way that Bogarts has um, defensively. Improved this year and it seemed that there was almost an inverse relationship like Bogart's uh, defense was getting a little bit better but his offense has slid a bit or you know at least that was the narrative and it was it it had slipped a bit uh, on paper for a while but he so quickly bridged the gap and now has has passed every other shortstop you know in almost every significant metric and I know that you're going to go over a few others but you know just just looking at that that OPS of 853 um, with only one other guy over 800, you know, that's, that's the one that I look at first. And I think that's going to be the moneymaker for him.
3: Yeah. It's just professionalism that we see from Xander Bogarts every year. He goes out there and he plays as close to 162 games as he possibly can. He plays through injury. Um, he finds a way he's sort of like baseball's version of, you know, Tom Brady going out there with, you know, I, I remember there was like a six game or six year, I should say, streak of Tom Brady being mentioned with like a shoulder issue or something like that. Uh, but making every start, it just seems like he has that sort of Iron Man capability. Um, like you said, let's look at the numbers. You, you already mentioned it first in WRC plus at the position. Uh, these are all going into tonight's game. So not including tonight's game that just finished. Uh, tied for first in batting average with Luis Arise. Uh, so he's in the he's whole making week. a yeah yeah so making a run at the batting title that's absolutely huge for the way that the uh the season has gone for him uh on a lot of different stretches first in obp at 3.84 uh second in slugging uh it, and this is all at shortstop position i should say second in slugging at 470 first in doubles with 37 doubles Fourth best base runner at the position behind speedsters like Edmund Lopez and Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, Fifth in runs at 77, eighth in RBIs at 63, and 11th at home runs at 12. So, you know, the thing that everybody's been pointing to is the power outage with home runs. But when you're knocking 37 doubles and getting on base at this clip and, you know, doing all these other things, it just doesn't matter. It's it's all been worth 5.7 war. So he's on pace for his best ever season right now.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned doubles. Doubles, to me, is just such an underrated stat, and it's something that you forget to look at. And, you know, if you're playing fantasy baseball, you probably aren't looking at doubles. And it's not front and center, but he's always got a ton. And 37 is a shit ton of doubles. You know, I mean, he could end up getting close to 45 or 50, and you mix that with 15 home runs, and you're talking about 60 extra base hits when all is said and done. And, you know, that's a, between that and the plate discipline and the leadership and the defense and all the other things that you mentioned, he's mixed in eight steals. Um, Yeah. And the the play that stuck out to me in that nine game streak, um, it was one of the games over the weekend against Texas where he hit a ball into the gap and it looked like a single off the bat and he hustled out of the box and, um, it was a great throw from the outfield, and he slid head first and just got in by a tick. And it just kind of um, embodies everything about Bogarts and the way that he plays. You know, it was such a pretty meaningless game, but he was hustling out of the box, and he's really just been on fire, you know, uh, in just every way possible over the last couple weeks. And, you know, like we said, just now you look at the full season, you look up, and, you know, he's atop a lot of
3: leaderboards and
1: has a chance at a batting title. Which I think we got a question about.
3: Okay, so we did get a question about this. Uh, we, we had a, a question from House of Kuzu, and he had two questions about Bogarts. Uh, usually he's asking us uh, how we feel about Bogarts being in a different uniform, but tonight was positive, so we appreciate that. He says, how excited are you that Xander uh, can get the batting title? And his second question is, "Is uh, do you think Bogarts has a chance to get 3,000 hits? I know I do. Uh, This is his age 29 season right now. He has 1,392 hits, so he'll finish the season over 1,400 easy. Uh, What do you think about those two questions? How excited are you about the batting title? Yeah, I
1: think, well, it's double-edged, right? Because if he wins the batting title and continues on with everything we're talking about, it's going to take a lot of money to get him back. And that's just going to be one more accolade that Scott Boris can can throw out there in front of teams this offseason. <laughs> so I'd be happy for the player, but that price is just going to keep going up if it happens. So I would say yes, but with that, uh, that footnote. Um, wow, well, you know, I hadn't thought about 3,000 hits. It's just such a tough thing to do. But, you know, a player that comes up at 20, and if they play until 40 and beyond, that's where you're going to see it. Even if he kept up this pace and played to 39 years old, he'd be at about 2,800 hits. So he'd have to be one of those players that plays to 42 years old. But, I mean, geez, you just compared him to Tom Brady, and I wasn't sure where you were going with it until you explained <laughs> kind of that Iron Man aspect of things. Yeah. and I you know, thought about Brady being on the, the injury report as questionable with a shoulder every game for... Four years, which was probably Belichick just messing with everybody in the <laughs> to put him on there. But <clears throat> it's really tough, and you got to stay healthy. And it's got to be twelve more years at a similar pace to where he's at. He's never had a two hundred hit season. Feel like you need to mix a few of those in. So I'm going to say he doesn't, but it's not an outrageous question either.
3: Yeah, it's it's probably unlikely that he does, but I think he's got an outside chance. And you know, this gets back to my next question about how how hard the Red Sox need to try and re-sign him, um, and and I've been very adamant during, uh, you know, the last couple of years when talking about the question of re-signing Xander or 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 um, Devers, you know, which one of these guys is more important, and I've been very adamant in going against the grain, saying that I think Xander is the more important guy to lock up, uh, and the reason why is just. You know, a lot of the questions that we have about Devers, about his body, about his defensive home, about all these different things, I feel like we don't have those same questions to the same degree about Bogarts. Like, definitely Devers has the higher ceiling as a hitter, but Bogarts is a guy who who knows his body, takes care of himself, is on the field every single day. I mean, the fact that he's having his best defensive season at 29, to me, is remarkable, Uh, At this point. So I think that if if you're going to talk about a guy who can play into his 40s, who can uh, get to that number, it's a guy who, as Cora has described, does everything perfect on and off the field. I mean, the way that they describe his workout routines, his nutrition, you know, his sleep habits, like all these different things with Xander, it's always like a plus professional. So My thing with Xander is, like, if you don't sign a guy like Xander, who checks all the boxes on the field, all the boxes off the field, what are we doing?
1: <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to add to that. I mean, and yeah, it, it's been such a long time that he has been here and been a great leader and, and done everything that you're asking for and um, just still seems to be playing at that high level. It just... It's all going to come down, I guess, to a couple of things. What's going to be the length of the contract here as he enters his thirties, right? And you know we can throw out whatever numbers there. But if it's a six-year deal, I would be it would be really upsetting to see him go on a six-year deal to another team. You know, if he gets eight years and two hundred, I don't know, twenty-five million or or something like that. You know, you can kind of see how it happened, but it's going to be tough for me if you say, "All right, six years." You know, add a little extra to that average annual value. We keep seeing how much money is coming off the books next year. Well, you don't have a lot of players on on the on the books, right? You're you're getting rid of a lot of money, but these are really good players that you're losing between Evaldi and and Bogarts, and you know now Kike is coming coming back on onto the payroll, but um. I don't know i am just i think very much that if you're going to build a team it's around stud infielders and and i still believe in trevor story it's been a choppy year but if you've got story at either second or short and bogart's at either second or short and devers at third you know for the majority of that extension who knows if one of those guys moves at dh but you worry about that later that's how you build a great core of a team and you're talking about low maintenance guys that are, that are great leaders and, and you know what you're getting out of them. So if if you're going to make me choose, that's a whole other story, but I just don't see why both can't happen. Um, starting with Bogarts and then following suit with Devers. And I think the amount of heat that the, the sports radio shows are giving and that the fans are, and you know, whether ownership might potentially step in to say, we got to make this happen and spend money on these players. And then, you know, do your cheap stuff around the edges that you got to do
3: <laughs> from there. But, you know, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, it seems like this is the scenario that Bloom was brought in for, right? You you sure. lock up Bogarts and endeavors and then you build around them with a good player development system. Like you, you essentially go stars and scrubs, except you're not putting scrubs out there. You're putting really well-developed, homegrown talent out there. And I think that they're in a position now with the 11th best farm system, uh, in the game to swing some trades, uh, for, for cost controlled guys, uh, or to just simply develop their own guys to, to build around these, these players. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's really no excuse here. And I'll go on the record as saying, you know, to that eight year $225 million deal that you proposed for Bogarts, um, I'm, I'm there. I think you sign him to that. I don't even care if it's longer than six years. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll take quite that to, to sign him because I do think he's willing to give a little bit of a hometown discount. But even if he's not, you sign him to that because, you know, one of the things I've been harping on with the Red Sox is just like we all get so excited when guys get their numbers retired there in, in the right field porch. But if you don't keep guys, that runs out eventually. And the Red Sox are not the type of franchise that can go 10, 15, 20 years without retiring another one of those numbers. And if Bogarts leaves after this, I don't know if his number gets retired up there. And that's really important to a storied franchise. And that's more important than like maybe the last two years of a Bogarts deal being pretty shitty for this team.
1: Yeah, well, and they've, they're used to having some pretty shitty deals in the last couple of years. Um you know price is coming off the books we're looking at chris sale right now and you know what happened with pedroia was unfortunate due to an injury but there's always going to be one of those so yeah i'm with you I, I just wouldn't be as irate if he goes and gets eight years and you know someone backs up the truck for him and they end up bringing in a trey turner you know, if that ends yeah. up happening, I'm not going to be thrilled about it. I, I I think that this was avoidable. Um, but if he if he gets six, if he goes somewhere for six years and less than 30 per, I'm just going to say, you know, that's just, that was avoidable. If we go and only slightly up the low ball offer from last year.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, Bob, I'll be irate enough for both of us. So going <laughs> will be all right. I know I'll hear from you on it, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right, let's move on from Bogey. We'll get to some news and notes here. A little bit of quick hits, uh, followed by some quick questions. Uh, Franchi Cordero injured his ankle, crashing into the wall at the TROP. He's going on the IL and reportedly is likely to miss the rest of the season. It it didn't look very good when it happened. Um, As far as I've seen, they haven't announced a uh, secondary move. Um, My guess is Jalen Davis comes up, uh, given that Duran has been sent down Uh, to work on some things. Uh, What do you think the corresponding move will be?
1: Yeah. I I think that that would, I I don't think that we're going to see Duran. I think that he'll probably be down to work on some things. So I think it'll just be a depth outfielder. Um, Where are they at right now? It looks like they've got 14 hitters and trying to figure out how many pitchers because there's some some arms that i would like to see but i think we're going to get into that later or there's a specific arm that i would like to see <laughs> Yeah, there's um, one specific arm come up but there's that the, you know there's that new those new rules right it's got to be 13 13 and it's got to be 14 14 and i think they are are right at that so davis makes sense we'll go with that and if there's an arm coming up i would prefer to ask why is Juries familiar on this team
3: <laughs> you mean both. Um, another question that I've seen regarding Franchi Cordero because he has come up, uh, you know, and, and not just played at first base, but he's played a lot of outfield is looking at the 2023 team and trying to imagine what the bench will look like. They've got a couple of pretty interesting options in Rob Snyder and Franchi Cordero. Which one of those two guys would you prefer as the bench outfielder on this team in 2023? pretty easily ref Snyder for me
1: um I think that he's played a really good defense and I've really been impressed by his eye at the plate I mean he has more than a 10% walk rate in his career and he has that this year um I mean he's hitting 314 and his on-base percentage is 393 in 44 games for 140 plate appearances um sure that's not the only thing that you can look at he's career he's an 86 WRC plus but he did something coming in into the season to to improve. Um, he's he's drew, drawn some, some tough walks you know, to get on base in, in key spots in some of the games that they won back in June and July that were big games, and he was in the middle of all of it. And I think of that incredible catch that he made in the gap. Um, oh, yeah. Which yeah. just – and I don't blame Cordero. For, I can't believe they don't have a warning track in Tampa Bay, which I saw after the game, and that's what he was – Uh, they were blaming for that injury is that he didn't know he was on the warning track because the trap is just such a shithole isn't it it's a disgrace and every (laughs) year it reminds us why it's a disgrace if something's deflecting off the roof or you know someone can't see a ball or whatever it is i mean that's just the 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 most recent in a long line uh as you see the guy getting carried off the field because he didn't know he was on the warning track and crashes into the wall give me a break um But, yeah, I I just i have really liked what I've seen out of Ref Snyder, and I think he he deserves another year, and I don't know. I mean, they designated Franchi for assignment in the offseason and were able to bring him back, and I I don't know if there would be a ton of demand for him. You look at how much he struck out in that stretch. He's been a little better lately and and hit some some key home runs, but I, I like Ref Snyder, especially if we're talking about a bench piece that you might need for Uh, you know defensive purposes or uh, to pinch hit uh, to replace a lefty or something along those lines
3: I completely agree it's not even close for me I'm right there with you ref Snyder all the way Um, you know Franchi I've seen enough of him I I think it's a it's a fine story but I just don't think it compares for that role Uh, Moving on, Eric Hosmer and Nathan Eovaldi are still on the IL. Their injuries are slow to progress. Eric Hosmer, in particular, is dealing with a herniated disc, uh, which is never a comfortable thing and and certainly not for somebody that does a rotational movement like swinging a bat. So, uh, you know, at this point, I'd be surprised if either of those guys contribute the the remainder of the year, especially given that Nathan Ivaldi uh, is hitting free agency, and uh, Eric Cosmer, you know, is going to give way to Tristan Casas right now. So, any yeah. thoughts on those two injuries? No, I,
1: I think you're right. The only thing, Ivaldi might want to, to prove that he's healthy entering free agency. You know, I mean, if he does feel like he's back to a point where he can throw and... Um, you know, wants to get out there one time to prove to people that, that he's healthy or, or show the team that he's healthy if there's going to be interest in, in him in the offseason. That's the only thing that I could think of, that he might want to, um, you know, Noah Syndergaard throwing two innings at the end of last season. You know, I think people want to show at the end of the season that, that they are healthy, especially entering a situation like that. Yeah. But, you know, maybe the team <laughs> wants to hide that and thinks that they can uh, sign him for less. Maybe. Maybe another one-year show-me deal coming here. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, his velocity's been down in the second half. He's been dealing with, with multiple injuries, and I think there was a, a piece out today, I want to say it was Chris Cotillo, that was just talking about how he's, you know, working a lot harder on just his pitch mix and pitching rather than, you know, he he didn't have the 98-99. He was throwing 94, and he got lit up a couple times and really just working on locating. Um so, I mean, you know, hopefully he can get back to full strength, but he's had two Tommy John surgeries and he's getting older. So it's a, it's a risky proposition to bring Evaldi back. I want no part of that. Personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, it's probably not the guy you give a long-term deal to. So um, we'll
3: see if somebody does. All right, next guy, Cutter Crawford hit the I.L. with a shoulder impingement. Uh, How concerned are you about this, and would you be okay if he was part of the rotation in 2023? I mean, I'm
1: not concerned because the rest of the season doesn't matter, so shut him down and get him healthy for next year. Um, Well, Dan Secatoria asks us a question. Will Brian Bayo and Garrett Whitlock both be in the starting rotation on opening day next year? If, they're, if they aren't, will either of you promise to bail me out after I'm arrested for chaining myself to the pesky pole in protest? Um, I just mentioned that question because, you know, how's the rotation going to look next year? And if it is Bayo, Whitlock, Sale, Pavetta, and Crawford, I don't think that's good enough. So I'm not okay yeah. with him being in the initial rotation.
3: Next year. Neither am I. I think and I think I, that both of those guys are. good. I think Bayo and Whitlock will be. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. Um, I, I think Sale. I, I actually think four of those guys probably are. I think Pavetta and Sale uh, probably are as well. But I think you know Crawford needs to be your depth guy or your long guy, right? Um, for for this team to look good, you know they they need at least one other big guy at the top of that rotation in my opinion so yeah i'm right there with you whether that's free agency or a trade or Ivaldi,
1: and i think we both would rather be but it has to be a frontline pitcher because there's there's too many question marks in the other four names that we're mentioning
3: yeah i don't think you can go into the year with Ivaldi and his injury concerns sale and his injury concerns You know, potentially Paxton if they decide to go down that road, which I don't think they're going to. uh, There's just way too many concerns. Uh, We need some stability in that starting rotation. Yep. Uh, Other news. Tanner Houck is done for the year and underwent a lumbar discectomy uh, on Tuesday. Um, So this is really interesting because before I became a teacher, I was actually working in this field. um, So I've seen... Uh, with my eyes, uh, probably like, I don't know, 30 lumbar discectomies. Well, you're going to uh, have to break it down for us then. Yeah, so a, a lumbar discectomy is just when there's a, a essentially a piece of the disc material that is bulging out from the lumbar, which is the lower spine. Um, the, the doctor essentially just cuts it away so that it's no longer uh, pressing on stuff and causing discomfort. Uh, the, the problem with a discectomy is that, you know, sometimes what can happen is that you can have some degeneration in that area, uh, and, and eventually you might need a fusion, uh, which is when you take the disc completely out and replace it with a sort of like a plastic insert, uh, to, to add to the disc height. So this is not a very good thing um it, it's good that it's happening in in the lumbar probably more than uh if it was in like his neck in the cervical spine area but um you know this is this is a pretty substantial uh procedure for for somebody who throws a baseball for a living so it's not the best thing um for him to have gone undergone uh i think he will come back healthy but it, it's just one of those things that's not going to go away uh long term yeah. So, you know, my question for you, Bob, is does this do anything to solidify for you his future is in the bullpen rather than, you know, eventually making his way back to the rotation?
1: Yeah, I was already there anyways, so everything that you're saying doesn't sound like with that kind of significant back injury that they're going to put him in the rotation next year and say we're going to try to work you up to be a 150 to 200 inning pitcher someday, you know? Um, Yeah. And I think that we've already kind of seen I mean we saw it last year even when he there were games that he was throwing near no hitters for five or six innings and they'd pull him out in the third time through the order um, I don't think they ever believed that he could be a starter that goes deep into games whether he was a five inning starter or a piggyback guy or a closer um, so I don't know what relief role he will have I can tell you I don't want them to go in with without a closer again next year um, but I would think that he's going to be, whether it's the Whitlock role or a partial closer or something like that, I, I think that's probably what they're looking at long term.
3: It would not shock me if he doesn't look like vintage Tanner Houck until middle to late in next season, given sure. the severity of uh, a procedure like this. So uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, definitely not good news, though, for the firmer, former first rounder. Nope. Um, All right, call-ups have happened uh, since the last time we were on the podcast. September 1st, Connor Wong and Edward Rosado were called up. Uh, Two guys I've been really wanting to be called up. Uh, Wong, shortly after being called up, hit an absolute missile uh, over the green monster. Did you see that home run? I
1: did, and um, I can't believe they even tracked it down to get the ball back to him (laughs) because I thought it might have been on the highway. But that's what he had been doing for... I mean he's the best hitter in the minor leagues pretty much for a month but he had hit for for power and and average and just totally broken out since about mid May. You know, after I had almost written Connor Wong off. He was hitting like 150. You know, I don't have yeah. the exact numbers in front of me, but he has been mashing and hitting
3: and he's not he doesn't look like a imposing power hitter, but that was outrageous. He's just so athletic. You know, when when you watch Connor Wong, you're like, how is this guy? Yeah. How does he have a catcher you know what how is he a catcher at this point because he does not have a catcher's build at all like he he's kind of one of those guys where if you saw him line up at shortstop you'd be like yeah all right like i, I get it you know he's right. just he's twitchy he's skinny he's athletic it, it's just a lot going on there it's kind of interesting I, I wonder if this is uh you know a new blueprint for the future for what catchers can look like
1: well and he's played some other positions in the minors right yeah, oh, I think definitely. they might have mixed him in at third base, and, um, you know, if it didn't work out there, that he might have, I think of Kinder um, Falefa was a catcher, and then ended up being an infielder, and you know, that, that they thought that might have been a backup plan for him.
3: Yeah, um, you know, since he came over to the Red Sox, I think due to the fact that the Red Sox have, you know, a very... A Limited supply of good yes. minor league prospect catchers, as you well know, Bob. Uh, <laughs> they they have been focusing on him behind the dish, but yeah. yeah, he definitely got some more time at other positions when he was with the Dodgers minor league system. Um, I'm going to ask you a quick question here. I know we have to kind of keep moving at a good clip, but um, you know, would you be okay with going into next year with a Wong Maguire tandem behind the dish? Yes. Okay,
1: Provided that there's about six other things I could list out that, that they do. But um, I think they'll be in good shape defensively, and I think it's okay to have one weak position offensively. But I think McGuire, he's not going to hit like he has, but he's impressed me defensively. I think that the pitchers like throwing a Wong. I know Evaldi always did um, in the time where some of the catchers were out last year that he was comfortable throwing a Wong when, when he
2: was up. Step into the world of power Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: So,
1: yeah, I I think that 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 can work. um, If that's your one spot in the lineup that that is a, a, a weak area and, you know, you have... You pinch it for the catcher and put the other guy in in the eighth or the ninth inning. I, I think you can get away with with one
3: spot like that. Okay, so the blueprint here is, if I'm hearing you right, is re-sign Bogey, extend Devers, sign Judge, go with this catching tandem. <laughs> they're, they're, what's Judge gonna get? I have no idea. Does it start like, with a four? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. He's like. His injury history plus his age, yeah, I, I have no idea. It's going to be one of the most interesting contracts uh, to see. So I'm very Certain. much looking forward to uh, how many zeros are on that thing. Yeah, it's, and it goes up every day. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're going to be in the mix for
1: Judge. No,
3: I don't either. Uh, the pitchers, though. The pitchers are finally up. A lot of the young pitchers, there's just one guy that hasn't come up yet. Um, Bizardo, Kelly, and Ort have been up. Uh, do you have a favorite from this group of three so far? I'm a huge Zach Kelly fan.
1: Um, he's had three really good outings and one that was subpar, but in the good outings, they've been dominant. There was a nine-pitch inning that was in there. There were... Um, Appearance against Minnesota where he struck out back to back on both on the changeup. The changeup is filthy, and I you know I think Sox prospects had tweeted out some videos earlier in the year, and I saw it, and I was like, whoa, that's gonna play up here, you know? And he's got such separation. He's throwing a fastball ninety five, ninety six, and he's throwing the changeup eighty two, uh, and he mixes in a slider a little bit too. So I don't know. I mean, you gotta ride this out and you look at Schreiber and you look at Kelly and then the the players that they eventually DFA'd and it's just, I could go on a 10 minute rant but what Schreiber did should have been case in point earlier in the season that they should have got a look at these guys when the bullpen imploded week after week and the season was slipping away. It would have been nice to see uh, what Zach Kelly had to offer in June rather than retaining every
3: possible 40 man flexibility that they did. I know the lack of urgency with uh, the bullpen this year has been maybe the most frustrating thing about this season because, you know, I I've tweeted about this. I've written about this. I've podcasted about this uh, for months now. And, And the fact that they didn't press any of these buttons before, you know, close to September or or past September is just crazy to me. Uh, I agree with you, though. Kelly is the best of these guys. Bizzardo is my second favorite out of the group. Uh, And then Ort. um, Bizzardo had a really rough outing tonight, though. Um, But again, with him, the thing that's interesting about Bizzardo is, like, you watch him for an inning, and he looks like a guy who could be a seventh inning guy. You know, his his slider is a really good pitch. Um, His sinker has a ton of movement on it. But the fastball, it's just his weakness. I mean, he, he grooved that thing down the middle at 94 yeah. twice. Back-to-back <laughs> hitters tonight, and they just deposited it. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even a question. It was like a BP-type uh, you know, type home run blast. Um, so he, he makes way too many mistakes with the four-seamer, but you don't have to squint too hard to see why people like Bizardo. It's so. crazy to think that 94 is just not enough. <laughs> oh, I mean, you guys like Christian Betancourt are just taking yeah. that thing out of the park like it's nothing. Yep. It's wild yep. to me. I couldn't touch 94 with 89 a... 89 and a slider at 82.
1: So, I mean, that's that's somebody who needs the Zach Kelly change-up. Needs a oh, little yeah. more separation there.
3: Absolutely. I mean, you, know, you could give me one of those big... Uh, plastic red bats that are like you know those like little kids bats that are like uh double the thickness of a regular bat i still couldn't touch 94 so (laughs) um it wouldn't happen i don't even think i could bunt 94 (laughs) bunting's a A lot tougher than you would think yeah uh all right so let's talk about the guy we've been alluding to for a while frank german uh just keeps racking up saves down in worcester um really having an excellent season, you know, across two levels, had a chance to saw him, see him live this year, was very impressed. Um, you know, why do you think the hesitation? Uh, I'm going to let you go on a rant here about uh, Jerry Stummelia and Ryan Brazier being on this roster while Frank German sits in Worcester.
1: Oh, man. Uh, I think the, to answer your question, the reason for it is just that they don't have to make a decision about German yet or they didn't have to after all of these other guys based on, you know, that he came up through the system and when they needed to put him on the 40-man and things like that. But it's just the whole year has been that. And they have prioritized just roster flexibility over talent time and time again. And you look at other teams throughout the league and and they cycle in these relievers all the time. They get, get a look at people pitchers gain velocity you know and it unfortunately sometimes it's for a year or it might be for two months and you you throw your arm and that's what happens in tampa they've got so many power arms on on the injured list you know that's a different story but it's just you know we needed to look at some different guys what more did we need to see from saw mora um from austin davis from brazier there's someone else that i'm forgetting and it was just over and over again rolling the same guys out there. And it must have been so helpless for Cora. I mean, you know, I've heard Eck in a couple of the games going, you know, what's he supposed to do? Who is he supposed to go to? How do you win a game? Because just down the line, all right, these two pitchers aren't available because we had to throw them for multi-innings yesterday just to win that game. Because you're managing like every game is a playoff game. And now here comes Jerry's familiar. It was fine to get a look, see if you got lightning in a bottle. He's he's had a good history years ago but now what's the point you're not auditioning him for this year that should be German spot and they were just I think you know it was just really lazy to continue to think that you needed to see these arms um anything beyond the end of May I mean we had so many answers in the end of May and they had blown so many saves and it's just I'll stop (laughs)
3: <laughs> no i mean i i agree um and, and with frank german too you know excelling across two levels it would have been a real nice uh bonus and, and a you know nice job buddy to to give him a taste of boston as well so yeah, you want to see if he's going to be in the plans next year yeah he really is not that's just
1: that's it that's all you really need to know a guy I, with I, a 2.72 era down
3: there with 11ks per nine Let's see what it looks like, yep, I agree. I do feel like though Bob we um we've been you know texting each other for a long time about a lot of these uh bullpen names that are no longer uh, on the team so our 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 friend uh, Hansel Robles has gone yep. big fudge, you know, we're pouring yeah. one out for Sawamora now how, how does it feel that this uh era of guys that we've just <laughs> talked so much about is now? Now gone. Were you? Uh, did you? Did you drink a steel reserve when? Uh, when? When? Big Fudge got dfa eight? <laughs> you know they were helpful last year. Robles was very.
1: Uh, I mean, he was throwing close to a hundred and had like fifteen straight shutout innings or outings after they traded for him last year. And and that's the thing is these things change so quickly. And you get a, you, you know you don't have to face the pitcher anymore. But the relievers that go to the National League and excel or just need a change of scenery or you find an arm slot or something that you can add a tick or two or velocity Schreiber, for example, you know, that, that stuff happens, you know, and that's why you roll the dice on Familian. that's why you trade for Robles last year and Austin Davis. And, you know, they contributed and some wasn't that bad, but it was clear that they didn't want to use him in any high leverage situations. I think like four of his appearances were either in a tie game or less than four runs ahead the whole season. So, um, if they weren't comfortable throwing him in those games, then he probably shouldn't have been on the team. They had too many 12th pitchers. Yeah, he became the guy that Cora threw out with men on base to just eat it. Yeah, third, fourth inning if someone went out early, he was always yeah. him. Yep. So that's not someone you need to, you didn't need to be here till September. No.
3: A guy who I I did want to be here right when September started, though, is Tristan Casas, who was called up on September 4th. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck has been sent down as a resulting move. Uh, Cora says he's going to play Casas versus lefties and righties down the stretch. So, First of all, what do you think about this move? Did they do it too late? And what do you think Casas' role is on the team in 2023?
1: Yeah. They did it too late. I would have liked to see it a little bit earlier. I think when the You know, there's the whole idea of you want to wait until you can um, have them rookie of the year eligible next year. So you don't want to have 130 plate appearances this season, right? So you want it to be later than that. That still could have been earlier than September 3rd or 4th. I think he should have been up two or three weeks ago. It's great that they're playing him against lefties and righties, see what he can do, and if he's your guy. And I think i I would just say I need to answer that question in four weeks. Let's see what we have here. Um, You know, is Eric Hosmer necessary next year? You know, hitting from the same side of the plate as Cassis does? I don't know. Maybe he is if Cassis doesn't show enough in these few weeks. But, um, you know, I think this is
3: the audition. I'm glad he's up, and I wish it happened two weeks ago. Yeah, we did get a listener question from T.J. McPhee. He said, "How worried should we be about Casas's splits over lefties against lefties at AAA? Uh, should they sign another first baseman in the offseason? Um, and then the other thing was, uh, you know, ab- about the two lefties, Casas and Hosmer. So, do you think they should coexist, or are we not going to know the answer to that until you know the end of September here? I think that they both
1: start next season on the roster. Um, if only because Hosmer, is, he's a, a very good defensive player, veteran bat that you have there, and he makes the minimum. So there isn't any commitment that you're making. I mean, once they made that trade and San Diego took the entire contract, he's here playing for the minimum. That's You can't have a lower commitment than that. So if in June, Cassis proves on both sides of the field that he's there, he's ready, to be the guy, then you can ship Hosmer out of there at any time. Ideally, they hit on opposite sides of the plate, but um,
3: you know, I, I think they'll both be on the roster to start the season. Well, the other thing, too, is JD is going to be gone, so there's an open spot at DH as well. Yeah. So yep. maybe he, he gets some run there. Um, but what does all this mean for Dahlbeck's future?
1: I would say I think he's on another team next April but it sucks that they are at a point where they have to sell low on just so many of these players with you know Duran. There's a lot of trade packages that we probably threw out there in the off season last year of, you know, hey if you can go get this guy, would you trade Dahlbeck and Duran and somebody else and you could probably go back and look at them now and say, Well of course you would do that. Um I don't think Dahlbeck has a whole lot of um I don't know i i don't think that he's his value is is at zero because we saw what he did the last two months of the season and it's just but it's been a season-long funk and i don't know i think it'd be tough to just kind of send him down to triple a and have him you know down there mashing triple a pitching but you know maybe there's a team out there that is willing to make some sort of sell low for sell low type of deal that fits your roster better i don't know what that is yet
3: yeah, I agree with you. I think his uh, his value is still higher though than a guy like Chavis because Dahlbeck has a couple things going for him. Um, you know, he looks the part. First of all, he's six four at first base rather than, you know, Chavis as a five eleven guy trying to play over at first. Um, and, and we actually have seen him do it in the in the big leagues for that second half that you talked about. So I do think his value is a little bit higher. But I agree. I, I think Dahlbeck... Uh, is is a future Oakland Athletic for some reason? I just <laughs> I can see that picturing the, uh, that. What what I think of is uh, you know Ron Chandler has the baseball forecaster, which
1: is just an, an incredible book to read in the off season that goes off of, you know, what has happened historically with certain players and career trajectories and batted ball data, and you know spits out what they think the projection is. And I remember Dahlbeck said at the end, upside fifty home runs you know and it, it, yeah. i think they usually don't go you know they kind of err on the side of caution more in that book and that stuck out to me jeez you know chandler thinks that Dalbeck could hit 50 <laughs> you know and that and what i saw in the last two months i, I was i'm
3: just shocked by how quickly uh the decline happened this year well, being a dead fan also, I think he gives me a Bay Area vibes. so I don't know. Something about <laughs> is, that seems Dahlbeck like is? a natural fit. Yeah, Dahlbeck is. Oh, okay. so. I
1: can go hang out with uh,
3: Bill Walton. Yeah, there you go. Um, Casas, though, before we end this discussion, did have his first home run tonight at the Trop. Did you get to see it? I did. Yeah. Nice up, little poke there.
1: Yeah, up and in, and it was a similar swing to the one that he almost hit out down the near the yeah. pole. Yep. on his first at-bat of the season. Um, I mean, that's a tough pitch. and So that was good to see. You know, Get that out of the way. He hadn't done a whole lot the first two games, so hopefully he'll be off and running now.
3: And then he got held hostage by Ryan Brazier's twin with that ball. Did you see oh, that really? happen? No, I did yeah. not. Uh, this jerk in the stands uh, refused to give the ball back until he got an adequate trade oh, wow. uh, for his stuff. So Nice. Yeah, got to love it. Um, all right, Michael Waka. Let's get to him. Uh, he continues to pitch very well. Had a great start again two days ago in the loss to the Rays. Uh, Keaton and I have been throwing around a three-year, $45 million deal for Michael Waka. So two questions about this. We'll go real quick on Waka. First of all, would you sign him to a three-year, $45 million deal? And do you think that's enough to get him get that done?
1: no i wouldn't but it wouldn't surprise me if he got that just I, I mean i think what he's done this year has been pretty legit um you know i i look at <clears throat> some of the like you know you know has a stuff plus and a location plus metric that i find to be you know very accurate to see you know, who has the best stuff in the league and who has the best command. And walker has got a a location plus of about 108. And his changeup is up around, um, you know, 108, 109. His changeup is one of the better pitches in the league, honestly. It is so great to watch um, how many whiffs he gets with two strikes on the changeup. And, you know, the five-pitch mix, he's got a changeup and a cutter and a fastball, sinker, curveball, and he's just really kind of perfected how he wants to mix those pitches up this year as opposed to last year where he was you know ditching the cutter halfway through the season and then it took off from there. I just think he's really pitching and locating so well, but I don't think I would give him 3 at 45. Although, you know, yeah. he could get a qualifying offer.
3: Yeah, I said I wouldn't uh give him that either. Uh, and i don't think i'm changing my stance on it but i am definitely okay with giving him the qo uh next year at this point um and, and it is really just nice to see because michael waka came into the league right around the time that i really started getting into sabermetrics um and you know i remember when he came out of college him being super famous for that change up and it, yeah. it was elite right away so it's nice to see that you know, as far as pitch values and other things like that go, that he's been able to regain that elite changeup this year.
1: Yeah, it's been
3: it's been great,
1: and it's been the difference maker for him.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last thing that we're going to talk about before we get to our last couple listener questions here is a is a great thing that you brought up and that I've been tweeting about a lot on uh, on Twitter is the AL MVP race between Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. Uh, Right now, Shohei Ohtani has a combined 7.9 F war between pitching and hitting. Judge at 8.9, and he's chasing down uh, Roger Maris' AL home run record. Uh, Just some numbers here. Shohei Ohtani as a hitter, 32 home runs, 85 RBIs, 11 steals, 270, 360, 537, with a 148 WRC+. And as a pitcher... He's even better somehow. Uh, 136 innings pitched, 11 wins, uh, 2.58 ERA, 4.4 war just as a pitcher, Uh, fastball averaging 97 miles an hour. I mean, there's nothing this guy can't do. His splitter is incredible. The slider is elite. Um, He's crazy. I, I don't have words for him anymore. At this point, but Aaron Judge. I mean, I don't know how you can go against him. Fifty-four home runs right now, hundred and seventeen RBIs, fifteen stolen bases, with a two hundred two WRC plus. That's crazy. That's Babe Ruth type stuff. Uh, and his slash line is three hundred two, four hundred three, six eighty two. Who do you got in this race, Bob? I know, and this is. I I pose this question to you because, it's as.
1: I'm so torn on it because for Otani winning the MVP last season, he has been better this year. You know, he's not going to get to 46 home runs, but everything else he's going to pass what he did last year. He's hitting for, you know, 15 higher points in an a- batting average. He's been a better pitcher. He's going to have more innings, more wins, more K's you know, mix in the 11 stolen bases that he has. That's another one. He had 26 steals last year, so he's not going to quite get to the home run steals numbers, but everything else he's going to be better. He has six multi-home run games after having six in his career up to that point, you know? So it's just, he's been on such a tear, and then you look at Judge, who at the plate is getting even better as the season goes on somehow. He's at 54. So I just, if, if Judge... If Judge hits 64, 65 home runs and has 140 RBI with an average over 300 and they make the playoffs, I think Judge is going to win the MVP even though Otani's having a better season than last year. And I think back to, like, DiMaggio and Ted Williams' years. where Did Ted Williams hit 406 and not win the MVP? That is correct. DiMaggio we're, won it. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to look at this in 30 years at Otani's... You know, no one ever did it before and hasn't since and it might be the best season that he ever has and then he doesn't win the mvp which feels unjust as well but they're it's cruel it's the most valuable player not the most outstanding player and they're 15 games under 500 which is a shame
3: yeah i don't know like i know that this is hypocritical of me because if judge was doing this on the red Sox, i'd be like well of course it's judge um <laughs> Because I'm a, you know, to some degree, we're all homers, and and right. I'm not seeing it every night. But every time I look at what Shohei Otani is doing, I just can't believe it. I just simply cannot believe that he is in the conversation for the best hitter and the best pitcher in baseball at the same time. And it's literally just—it's never been done to this level ever, no, ever. You know, and. When something is completely without precedent and we have nothing to even compare it to um, because he's blown what Babe Ruth did, like, out of the water as far as doing the combination of these two things. Yeah. I, I just feel like it's his. It's his until, I don't know, until he stops doing things like this. <laughs> you I know. know. It's just crazy.
1: I know. I think I would have to vote for Otani. You know, I'll never have a vote. But if I did, I think I would have to regardless, which is just crazy. But... there's there are rare scenarios that i think it's okay for a a non-playoff participant to win the mvp and this is one of those because yeah i mean people got sick of michael jordan winning the mvp and started (laughs) giving it to carl malone and yep (laughs) i don't want to look back at the carl malone year (laughs) you know but it's it's a different sport
3: so yeah absolutely agree absolutely it's a it's a tough call uh, and I want I want judge to get paid but give it to Otani Yep. all right let's get to a, a couple listener questions here before we get out of here our friend uh, Tyler case uh, says first off how you guys been been a while also what are your thoughts on Sadan Rafaela is this kid destined for greatness Bob I think uh, as the the prospect guy on the show I gotta gotta get your opinion on this
1: yeah well first off taylor great to hear from you always a pleasure um in terms of Rafaela, i think i wouldn't say greatness i think his statistics are off the charts at multiple levels this year uh I th- if you know the last uh on deck pod we had with ian kundal i think was a great conversation about Rafaela because he talked about some certain areas that you can't really see on his stat line where his you know his k-rate looks good um but his walk rate is only, I want to say, like four percent. But it's more that he chases some bad pitches that he ends up putting in play, so that doesn't really show up on his K rate, um, which is an area that he has to kind of tie up a little bit. And but his defense is just so good. I mean, he is going to be a major leaguer, and he's going to play up the middle. Um, but I just, it seems like he got moved up some prospect lists so quickly and then people were throwing around oh this is like a Mookie Betts type of rise and well no this isn't it's not Mookie Betts (laughs) you know at least I don't think it is um so I think he's going to be a major leaguer and I think he's going to be um a decent one but I think you know when you see him creeping up near like top 50 on some lists that that is a little strong I want to see how he progresses and if he can improve you know his walk rate and and be someone that's going to be getting on base and not just be a nine hitter that plays good defense with a little bit of pop.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with all that. I will just say this, uh Taylor, uh you know, great to hear from you as well. Uh and also I would just say he's destined for defensive greatness. Yeah. Regardless of what happens with the bat because it seems like every time I log on to Twitter, uh, I see a new web gem from him. Yeah, he won the
1: defensive minor league player of the year last year um, with most of his time
3: at low A, and it probably will happen again. Yeah, he's definitely getting to the majors on the back of that defense regardless of what happens to the bat. Yep. Uh, Patty o. D has our next question. He says, is the Kike extension good? a good sign for contract talks with X in Rafi? Or am I just grasping at straws? You know, I saw this question, and I actually, I don't think you are grasping at straws. I think it is the right signal uh, to those guys. Um, I, I think they definitely hurt their case with the low ball offer with Xander and with trading Vasquez. But I think this, coupled with the comments that Bloom made about, you know, making sure that the team is a contender in 2023, I do think that this is a good sign. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's not it can't be a bad thing, but I just don't know. I don't think that they'll be related. I think it's good that they're willing to. I don't know. I, are, they, are they talking to these players within the season? I don't think that they're going to talk to them until the off season. Um, I don't know. I, I think they're just kind of separate scenarios. That was for Kike. It worked well for both sides because of the season that he had. I mean, if you looked yeah. at Kike's numbers, you say there's no way he deserves 10 million next year. Sure, but the yeah. whole story with the injury, what he did in the playoffs, um, and his defensive metrics are really good. You know, the way that he, um, you know, closes on balls and his arm in the outfield, especially as someone that didn't always play there, I think is really impressive. And so it it can't. You you first look at it and you say this guy's in the low 200s without any power why was that worth $10 But once you dig in a little bit, I think it made sense
3: for for both sides. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being negative. No, I I think you're probably right about that. (laughs) Um, But you are being a little bit of a Debbie Downer. (laughs) That's a Um, lot of nights. (laughs) I know. Uh, Ari has our next question, and we sort of answered this one, but it's a little bit different, so I'm going to read it Uh, anyhow. He says, how do you see the Red Sox using Casas and Hosmer? Assuming Kostas's excellence continues both this year and beyond, uh, both are defensively strong left-handed hitters. First baseman, does one become the primary DH? Does the role become Kostas's with Haas acting as the mentor/slash defense first backup? I do think Hosmer's back issues uh, do play into this a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I feel like maybe Hosmer, with his body right now ailing a little bit, isn't up to an everyday. Uh, first base role and I think if you're if you have Casas up here you want him to be playing defensively uh, you know first base uh, he's an excellent defender at first base and not to say that Hosmer's not but you know at this point in his career Casas is the guy who you want to continue uh, to develop there uh, and and Hosmer's the guy who's won a bunch of gold gloves in his past so I would see Hosmer is the guy who gets some starts at first base while Casas gets the majority. And, uh, Hosmer serving as the DH a a good amount of the time, uh, and, and sometimes just sitting on the bench, he's making the minimum. So there's not a ton of pressure, uh, to play Hosmer every day. No,
1: he's making plenty of money. I don't think he'll be too upset. And in San Diego, he played that role plenty, uh, the last couple of years, maybe not this year. He hit a little better this year in the first half, but, um, the reason you keep Hosmer around is so what happened the first four months of this year doesn't happen again. If Cassius yeah. gets set down or gets hurt, you cannot have Franchi and, um, and Dahlbeck and Arroyo and whoever else throwing hook shots into the dugout. Um, it just it, They really embarrass themselves at that position defensively. And if it doesn't work out, you have someone there that can hold their own and play the position with a little pop.
3: Yeah, I, I love having the insurance there and a professional at-bat uh, off the bench if you need it. So. Yep. Uh, last question of the night comes from Ben Pope. He says, with Kike being back in the fold for 2023, where does it leave guys like Pham and Ref Snyder to come back or potential uh, free agent ads like Brandon Nimmo? This is an interesting one. We both stated our preference for Ref Snyder as a bench bat Um, But what do you think of the idea of uh, going with Pham returning in left field, Kike in center field, and Verdugo in right field for next year? Is that something you'd be open to for this team? You think that's a good enough outfield? It probably isn't, but it's better than what they
1: did this year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not much of an endorsement, is it? I really like Tommy Pham. Um, You know, not for more than a one-year contract because – think he's a bit of a loose cannon so I really wouldn't want to commit to him for too long but he seems to like playing here and you know gets on base 320 340 in recent seasons he's shown that he can hit the ball out to center field at Fenway on numerous occasions he's not a great I mean he'd have to play left you know he doesn't have much of an arm but I think that you could get Fam back, and I know that he is a Bloom guy. You know, when he was brought in and he had been there in Tampa in 2019 and had a really good season, So, but I like Nimmo a lot too. Nimmo is a great name to throw out there. I mean, he's an OBP god, so if that matters to them, and I think he's playing some center field for New York. So, um, you know, that might – I think Nimmo will get more money, but I would probably prefer him to Fam.
3: I'm gonna say there's only two guys who I'd rather have back on the free agent list uh, next year uh, over Fam um, in in the outfield. It's a particularly weak class here, but I think Mitch Haniger and Aaron Judge are really the only two guys available at that position at the corners that I'd rather have back than Fam. Um, you know, other guys that, that are on that list. Michael Brantley, he's thirty-six coming off an injury, he's a good hitter, but I don't know. Andrew McCutcheon's on that list. He's thirty-six years old. I like the fit of fam, and I think you could get him on a one year deal. Um, so you know, he he's proven to be the type of guy who can clearly handle the situation. Um, and yeah. he's he's impressed me since he's been here. So I'm totally fine with uh, cheaping out a little bit on the corners to um you know spend it on pitching
1: yeah fam played 155 games last year and he's going to be at about 140 this year and that's pretty much been what he's done the other guys you mentioned you know brantley gets and he's, he's hurt this year uh hanniger has been hurt a lot some not his fault nimmo you know 2019 played 69 games 2020 played 55 in the short season 2021 played 92 so he's had a lot of injuries, um, and Fam has been on the field a little bit more than him. So when he's on the field, I like Nimmo a little bit more. He's had a really good season, um, but I'm with you. I, either of those players I would be okay with. I would bet Nimmo gets four to five years. Yeah, he's he's younger. He's 29. Yeah, so it probably knowing them, they're probably going to go with the lower risk one-year deal and Fam being a Bloom guy.
3: You know what, though, in a down class like this, kind of makes sense.
1: Yep. They got plenty of other places they can spend. So, yeah. uh, Let's lock
3: up third and short first. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Bob. uh, That is our show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking socks with you here. Uh, You can find Bob on Twitter uh, at BobOsgood15. There you go. Oh, good. That was right off the cuff. Yep. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at, at Dev Jake. You can find the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. And also, please subscribe to our show here. You can just you know, search in Spotify or iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search the Over the Monster podcast. You'll get this show. You'll also get the pre-cap show with uh, Keaton uh, and uh, Bailey. Um, and uh, you know our prospect show when we do that as well. Um, but thank you for joining us rate and review us. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. So thanks very much. We'll be with you again next week.